Some of you will have heard of a guy called the Reverend Steve Chalk. He is a Baptist minister. He's recently written two books which have uh, caused quite a deal of controversy in evangelical circles. But back in 2004, in a book called New Era, New Church, he said this, The vast majority of people in the country, whilst unashamedly spiritual, have largely written off the church as being boring, irrelevant, and well past its sell-by date. Church is perceived as being out of touch, both with reality and society's needs. I don't know whether any of you have ever been to Glastonbury. Anybody ever been to Glastonbury? Oh, good. My wife and I, I don't know why we ended up in Glastonbury, but we went there a few years ago. It's a fascinating place. For those of you who need to know these things, the Glastonbury Festival, the music festival, starts on the 26th of this month. Headlining, we have the Chemical Brothers, the Cure, the Killers, Kylie Minogue, and there's also a Methodist choir. So you could just go for that if you wanted. But Glastonbury is a fascinating place. Um, I hadn't seen so many hippie people since the 70s. There was a heavy smell of wacky-backy in the air, wherever you seemed to go. But what was fascinating, and to be honest, a little disturbing, were the shops. It's no exaggeration to say that almost every other shop was a purveyor of some sort of occult material. Uh, Julie and I went into the Church Abbey bookshop, and it was difficult, actually, to find a Bible, but there was a small section where there were Bibles. But um, alongside those Bibles, you could buy books on all sorts of things, Wicca and witchcraft. Uh, you could also, if you wanted, visit the psych Psychic Piglets, one of the shops that pervade all manner of weird things. You could get your vegan candles there if you wanted. You see, Glastonbury reminds us that people are searching for meaning and purpose in life. We are created to be spiritual beings, and people are searching for spirituality. But by and large, they're not all flocking to church. And for those of us who profess to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he's given us a message to take this message of Christianity to as many people as possible. First verse that Philippa shared in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So my theme this morning is making the most of every opportunity. We're going to delve into John 4. In this chapter, we see Jesus, the master evangelist at work. And as we look at the passage, we're going to remind ourselves of some of the basic practical principles of personal evangelism that Jesus models for us. There are seven principles 
that we can discern. So I hope you brought your sandwiches with you. <laughs> We're going to move through them fairly quickly. You'll be pleased to know. The setting is simply that the Pharisees are getting wind of Jesus' popularity. And Jesus is on a journey from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. In between is the area called Samaria. Most Jews would avoid that area and bypass Samaria to get to Judea. But Jesus actually passes through Samaria because he's on a mission. So the first principle is to make contact. Verse 6. Jacob's well was there and tired as he was, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. This was a divine encounter. Jesus was in the right place, actually in enemy territory, at the right time. Normally, women drew water early morning or at dusk in the cool of the day. This woman came at the sixth hour. It was midday. He was in the right place at the right time, but most importantly, he had the right attitude. He was exhausted by the journey, but ready to make the most of an opportunity. When we're looking at personal evangelism, it's important to be in the right place at the right time with the right attitude. As I was preparing this message, my mind went back uh, a number of years to when I was playing golf in, on a golf course near Swansea. I got to the 10th tee, and three other guys uh, joined with me, and uh, it was a par three, 164 yards, which is of no interest to some of you, but basically, I hit the ball, I saw it land on the green, and the guy said, well, the guy said, it's in the hole. So anyway, I walked down to the green with these other three guys, anticipating it might be a hole in one. Arrived at the flag, lifted it up, and there was my ball. It was indeed a hole in one. A memorable day. But you know what was more memorable? I had an opportunity to share my faith with these three guys. I didn't take it. I could make excuses, but that's exactly what it would have been, excuses. After all, I was on holiday. I was relaxing. I was probably never going to see these guys again. But you know the truth? I could not really be bothered. I couldn't be bothered. I guess we all get it wrong at times, but whatever our past experiences in sharing our faith, God still wants to, re uh, wants to use us to reach out to our family, our friends, our contacts, our co-workers. So the first principle is to make contact. Second principle, here we see Jesus open the conversation. Jesus actually initiates the conversation with a direct request. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And the woman responds, responds hesitantly 
actually quite defensive. Verse 9, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Samaritans were regarded as a, um, a half-breed sort of a nation. The Jews despised the Samaritans, and the reverse was true. This woman had preconceived ideas about men. She may even have thought that he was coming on to her, and this was some sort of chat-up line. The mere fact that Jesus spoke to her was highly unusual. You see, in speaking to her, he broke through social, religious, and racial barriers. He didn't discriminate against her. He accepted her. And this is lifestyle evangelism personified. Jesus was very skillful in asking people questions in fact, he replied often to a question with a question. It was great when we had uh, Steve Henning with us because he identified how Jesus dealt with different people in different ways. He didn't dump the Christian message onto them in one go. And here we have a lawyer in Luke 10 who says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And then with a, a rich ruler in Luke 18, the ruler asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Exactly the same question, and Jesus responds, why do you call me good? Notice that Jesus wasn't put off by the woman's initial response. And we can expect people when we're trying to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, we can expect them sometimes to be hesitant, to be defensive. We may need to persevere in our relationship. We need to listen carefully to what's actually being said. It was a two-way conversation. Jesus talked, but Jesus also listened. Listening is absolutely vital. It helps us to understand where people are coming from. Let me, let me give an example. Someone we're talking to maybe have lost a loved one, maybe a husband, a, a wife, partner, or a child. What's going on in their lives? Well, they're obviously feeling sad. They're grieving. Maybe they're lonely. Maybe that they recognize there's an emptiness now in their lives. Some people might share with us that they're concerned about the state of the world. And when people say that, we, we realize perhaps they're, they're anxious about the future. They may be fearful of what's going to happen in the future. Maybe they haven't got a great deal of hope. And the gospel addresses all of these issues. Maybe the person we're talking with has been hurt by something somebody said or didn't say maybe many years ago. Something somebody did or didn't do. And you hear those words, I'll never forgive that person. And we see resident within that person an anger, a bitterness, an unforgiving spirit. We need to be listening to what people say it's not what they say often, it's the words behind what they're actually saying. Thirdly, we need to find common ground. 
Back to verse 7. Jesus says, will you give me a drink? Fairly straightforward request. Wasn't a particularly spiritual request. Wasn't an inspirational uh, request in one sense. But Jesus finds common ground. What on earth did the Lord of all creation have in common with an immoral Samaritan woman? Water. Water. He was thirsty. She had a bucket. Simple as that. We need to look for common ground. Common ground may be gardening, or it may be knitting and nattering, or crochet and communicating. It could be books. It could be cooking. It could even be sport, not necessarily golf. Where's the common ground? We need to find common ground so that we can engage with people on the same level. Do you know there are hundreds of people coming through those doors every single week? Their purpose is often to go to their own group. Sometimes I've been here trying to just welcome people. I know others do it much better than I do. Trying to find some common ground with these people. The community are coming to us here, and we need to make the most of that opportunity. So find common ground. And now Jesus begins to whet her, her appetite for spiritual matters. Uh, he arouses her interest. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is kindling her curiosity as he moves, as it were, from the, the earthly, the physical, the things that are seen, to the heavenly, to the spiritual, to the things that aren't seen. Notice Jesus did not give this woman four steps to becoming a Christian. That may be the right thing to do with somebody. He talked about living water. She didn't immediately understand what on earth he was talking about. But notice this. He did not use spiritual jargon or deep theological exposition. He could have. He wanted to communicate with her and not impress her. We need to be careful about the words that we use when we're sharing Jesus with others. Some of us have been brought up knowing words and knowing doctrines like redemption, justification, propitiation, atonement, sanctification. We hear of people being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, these are all fine phrases, and you can find these in Scripture. But we're not wanting to impress people. We want to, to communicate with them. And so we need to be thinking of how we can communicate effectively without using our Christian jargon. Yeah? We need to be talking about new life. A new start in life. We need to be talking about the fact that the past can be dealt with, the line can be drawn under it. We need to be talking about meaning in life, purpose in life. We need to be talking about hope. The gospel is a gospel of hope, not just for this world. 
but for the world beyond. We need to be talking about freedom. Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Aren't these the things people need to hear? New life, meaning, purpose, hope, freedom. So Jesus arouses her interest. Principle five. See, we're getting on fairly quickly here. You can put your sandwiches away. Allow people to ask questions. Often we want to do all the talking. I love the expression that Steve Fanning used. You know, we've, we've got it in our minds and we've got comes out very quickly and we dump, dump it on unbelievers. Jesus' approach had created curiosity in her mind and she begins to ask questions. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? She's asking the questions that are pertinent and important to her. People often have preconceived ideas about Christians. Sometimes it's through ignorance. Sometimes, sadly, it is through bitter experience. And we need to understand people's views the way they think. All Christians are hypocrites. You could respond by saying, well, what do you actually mean by that? If God is a God of love, he wouldn't let that happen. What about the people who've never heard about Jesus? The Bible is full of contradictions to which one could respond. Would you like to point one out to me? We can talk about it. Someone might say, I prayed for something, but nothing happened. In verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Her curiosity is growing into a desire and then a deep thirst. And she says, give me this water. She hasn't fully grasped the spiritual implications of what Jesus is saying. She's still looking from a physical viewpoint and misses what he's actually wanting to communicate. He now turns the conversation to a private life. Principle number six, confront, this is important, when appropriate, when appropriate. Verse 16, go call your husband and come back. Truth is, she'd had five husbands. The man she was living with at the time wasn't a husband. And it's as if Jesus places a mirror in front of her, saying in effect, look, take a good look at yourself. You know what's going on in your life. Well, don't you think that was just a little below the belt? I mean, they were getting on so well. <laughs> Having a great time communicating about water, etc., living water. A bit below the belt, I'd have thought. The important thing is to recognize we cannot skirt around the question of sin. You cannot become a follower of Jesus Christ until you've turned away from all you know to be wrong and put your trust in Christ. Notice that Jesus doesn't condemn the woman. He doesn't pass judgment on her. And we need to handle the question of sin very carefully, very sensitively but with holy boldness.
being led by the Spirit. You see, the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. Isaiah says our sins and iniquities have separated us from God. Paul says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, God's perfect standard. You see, we're all in the same boat. So we need to confront when appropriate. The seventh principle, there may be other principles here, but the seventh one I've discerned is don't get distracted. Verse 19, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. The woman's glimpse of herself makes her flush with embarrassment. It's almost as if we can see her uh, beginning to squirm. And she employs the tactic of deflecting from the issue at hand. She introduces a red heron, the question of worship, we Samaritans worship at Mount Gerizim. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. Which one's right? We need to be very careful and to discern when people are trying to distract us from the main issue. The main issue is Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. But people will ask questions like, what about suffering? Uh, why are there so many denominations? A question I frequently ask myself, especially when Jesus prayed that we should be one. What about suffering denominations? Thousands of people killed in earthquakes and tsunamis. And we need to discern if these are real issues for people or just a distraction, just a red herring. And on the question of suffering, we need to be very careful here not to give people pet answers. Don't assume a person hasn't suffered personally. But as I say, the main issue is Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and what he can do for us now. So Jesus is saying, basically, it's not location, location, location. It is the person you worship that matters. Jesus then reveals his true identity. I who speak to you am he. I want you to notice the change in this woman's view of Jesus during the conversation. Verse 9, she addresses him as a Jew. Then she refers to him as sir in verse 15. Then as a prophet in verse 19. Then as Messiah in verse 25. This is a beautiful progression. As we see her eyes being opened to the truth about who Jesus really is. And that's a reminder for the majority of people coming to put their trust in Jesus Christ. It's a gradual process for the majority of people may happen over an extended period of time, months or even years. Anybody here heard of the Engel scale? Who was that? John, uh, Ian. If you want, and Emma, if you want to find out a little more about the process of people coming to faith in Christ and the various decision-making steps on their journey to Christ, 
just key in the angle scale on your search engine. It really, I think, will help a lot of people. The conversation that Jesus had with this woman touched her mind, but then it sank to her heart. Then, leaving a water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She could not wait to tell others. She didn't need to be told to go. She went. Drawing water from the well wasn't important anymore. She left a bucket there. She found living water through Jesus. And she invites her neighbors and friends to explore Jesus for themselves. And they were touched by her story. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Many of you here are followers of Jesus Christ. There may be some people here this morning and you're not sure about all this Christianity stuff. You love coming here on a Sunday morning and singing and praying and just chatting with other people. Can I just simply, as I close, ask you whether there's been a point in your life where you've taken a good, long, hard look at the cross? recognizing that it's God's love demonstrated for you through the person of Jesus Christ, dying in your stead for the things that you've committed. God offers us a new life, a new start. God offers us freedom from the past. God offers us hope beyond this world. Maybe if you're unsure about how to become a Christian or you want to talk more more. Have a little chat with somebody afterwards. Nobody's going to pressurize you. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. So these Samaritans came to put their trust in Jesus, knowing that he really is the Savior of the world, all because of, what, all because of the fact that Jesus made the most of an opportunity in what was probably, for some people, an unpromising chance. Notice the woman's conversion happened over a short period. Uh, our, our efforts may take just a little longer. But keep sharing the good news of Jesus. May God use each of us to make the most of the opportunities that he opens up for us in the coming days. Amen.